you've got to over communicate because for all of your uncertainty and for all of your fear, you have way more information than the majority of your team and your staff. Um, and so double it, treble it, quadruple it in terms of their uncertainty and fear. And it's your job to try and I think balance that and to soften it and to just to try and help provide a degree of clarity. And as one of my former bosses said, you become a seller of hope. On today's show, we meet John Jenkins, CEO of Haydock Finance, a specialist business finance provider operating for over 40 years across the UK. Over the past two years, Haydock has increased its portfolio by 77%, by substantially increasing the breadth and depth of its introducer base, as well as diversifying its funding offering. John joined the business almost four years ago from a background as CEO at GE Capital, a stint running the business finance function for a hedge fund, an asset management company, after starting his career in commercial finance in Lloyds Bank. In this podcast, John talks through how these and other roles all contributed towards helping him prepare for navigating Haydock so successfully through the pandemic. But before we get into that, I started by asking John why he became a CEO. Sarah, firstly, thanks for inviting me on. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I, I have mused on this question for days, if not minutes, because I'm not really sure why I became a CEO, other than it felt like the next natural thing to do. Um, I'd been leading teams of people and enjoying leading teams of people at a functional level. Um, I'd been on a board and involved in strategy and strategic discussions for a period of time. Um, I like problem solving. I like uh, sort of the, the whole balance of um, what it means to be part of a board. And I think it's just the natural extension of that coupled with what makes you a CEO in part is your desire to stretch and challenge and to be competitive and to move forwards. And I think that's the little bit, not that I'm a psychologist, that comes out when you say, well, why do you want to be a CEO? Because, well, why wouldn't I want to be a CEO? Um, it, it feels like the natural thing to become if you aspire to reaching your your kind of your kind of uh, your optimum level. Yeah, and 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 thanks for your honesty with that, John. Because I think I think it's important to point out that most CEOs we work with are highly. Uh, competitive and ambitious otherwise you know they'd probably be the wrong people to be leading the organization um, and so I don't think it's something you sort of fall into um, uh, albeit uh, the serendipity of the moment clearly is all of the experience that you've acquired as you've mentioned across your for former career so um, so right so ambitious uh, stretched challenging I'm sure it's all of those things um, and and in that environment um, which we know to be uh, those things how do you create the space for yourself that both gives you some kind of balance um, but also ensures that you're focusing on the right thing so what part of your day is sacrosanct this was slightly easy because I, I think that, again it's a fairly obvious answer the beginning and the end um, having that time at the beginning of the day whether it's on the commute whether it's sat having breakfast at home just to think right what am i doing today what's important to get done today what didn't we get done yesterday um, what's on the schedule for the week what's on the schedule for the month compartmentalizing that little period of time 
to say, right, this is where I need to focus my time today or this week or this month. Um, and then at the end of the day, kind of giving yourself a mark out of town and say, right, so what did we get done and what's still there to do? And I'll pick that up tomorrow. Because the other point I would make is that um, it, it's pretty stressful doing what we do um, and you've got to be able to compartmentalize a bit. So once I've done my end of the day, 15, 20 minutes, an hour on the train, whatever, then I stop working. Um, and I say right now, it's a bit of me time, it's a bit of relaxing time, it's a bit of, I don't know, cooking supper and eating it, it's a bit of catching up on the telly, um, because you need to do that. You need to take that time away and that time out to refresh yourself and sort of give yourself the energy to go back into it the next day, because I, I would fear otherwise you just burn through. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? So your ability to be able to park and rest and do other things relies on the fact that you take the time effectively to make a marker on what you've done and what still remains to be done. So you get that clear in your head first, effectively. And, and it was it was tough during lockdown because, of course, suddenly we're all working at home all the time you know, and drawing the line between the commute that just seemed to involve going from the kitchen into the dining room or the kitchen into, into the office. Yeah. Um, that didn't give me that that space yeah um so so actually deliberately going and sitting and having some breakfast in one room and thinking about the world before you go and sit at your machine and turn it on and similarly at the end of the day leaving the room you've been working in um and going and sitting somewhere else created that sort of those sort of fire breaks yeah, the, the whole absence of commute is an interesting change to the natural pauses that were forced upon us in some ways. Um, and, and I've often wondered, actually, I don't know about your readership of uh, the press, but, you know, the time to read the FT or the time to read the really insightful Economist articles, are, I'm finding a lot harder to find since uh, the pandemic's kicked in. Um, and it requires you to really make them happen um, as opposed to just there being a natural moment so you've obviously found that John with your process yeah you, you've got you've got to create the, the the biggest learn for me going through that whole COVID period was you have to create more structure having a commute gives you some natural structure if you haven't got a commute well you've got to create that structure uh, and in a different context that kind of communicating with people when you're in an office you just naturally walk around and talk and pick things up and hear things if you're not in that environment, how do you do it? You create a bit more structure. So you actually put more calls in, you put more catch-ups in. And I've certainly found now post-pandemic that that working rhythm has changed a little bit as a consequence. Sure. Yes. So your point being, you know, the need to be mindful about doing things that might have just happened automatically previously. So a really good point. And actually, one we're seeing across a lot of the work we're doing around internal and external networking is the need for proactivity uh, because there's simply not the water cooler moments we used to have. So, OK, fantastic. So. Um, so that all sounds great, but of course, uh, the environment has been and continues to be uh, quite challenging. Um, and I think uh, the people listening to these podcasters are always interested in this third question, which is, um, you know, what's the most challenging an event or situation that you've encountered as a CEO? And what did you learn from it? What are the learnings that you've taken away? Um, I, I would cite two, I suppose. The, the, the first was going through that 08, 09, 10 global financial crisis period, where the business environment changed beyond anything you'd ever thought about, anything you'd ever planned for, anything you'd ever expected, 
Um, Jeff Immelt did a, I was a G at the time, Jeff Immelt did a conference and at the end of, uh, I think it was the end of 09, and he said, um, okay, so doing 09, I think I said 12 nevers in that 12 times I said something I never thought I'd say. And I think it was it was like that for all of us. Uh, as you know, you watch banks collapsing, you watch building societies disappear, um, you have your friends and your colleagues kind of wondering what's going to happen next. And through all of that, you've somehow got to navigate the ship. Um, and what did I learn? Two things, I think. The, the, the absolute requirement to have the best team around you, you can find and to make sure that that team stands shoulder to shoulder with you and is aligned in thinking. And because any chink, any tiny little movements at that time just blows, blows apart a massive gap. So you've got to be very, very clear, very, very consistent. And then the second is you've got to over communicate because for all of your uncertainty and for all of your fear, you have way more information than the majority of your team and your staff. Um, and so double it, treble it, quadruple it in terms of their uncertainty and fear. And it's your job to try and I think balance that and to soften it and to just to try and help provide a degree of clarity. And as one of my former bosses said, you become a seller of hope. So that I think that that need to be positive, to be consistent, to communicate um, was the big learn, which then prepared us, I think, better for what happened in 2020 when we had another never. Um, and I never thought we'd be sending all of our staff home that they'd have to work at home for the next 10 months and we couldn't go visit customers and we had to renegotiate bank facilities in the dark and all that sort of good stuff. Um, which just, I think, underscored the same needs, which is how important it is to have the right team around you, um, how important it is to be aligned, to be clear, um, and to over-communicate. So go from doing I don't know, a quarterly stand-up to a monthly to a weekly. I think we got to daily sort of end-of-day conversations with my direct team. They were having, if not daily, then every other day conversations with their teams just to provide that reassurance and that confidence that actually you know we, we will get through this and it will be okay um and it won't be the same because it'll never be the same but it'll be okay um and just keep that message yeah brilliant i love both those points so firstly uh, a tight team um and and a, and a good team clearly as a premier uh, requisite but secondly, communication and over-communication. And to your point, I think, did you say seller of hope? I think it was Napoleon that said a leader's job is to define reality, absolutely, but also to give hope. And um, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we saw some great leaders come to the fore over the course, particularly with the last pandemic, actually, where people were so nervous. And you're right, it was absolutely down to the quality and the regularity of communication, even at times where there wasn't necessarily anything to say, but just to be heard and to be seen. So, so critically important. I went on some calls and, and I, I said, look, I've got nothing to tell you, but I'm happy to take questions. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I'm here. And I'm here, most importantly. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, so um, where did you learn all of this? Um, I, you know, I'm fascinated always by how great leaders, um, you know, acquire those skill sets. So who would you say influenced you the most in terms of the way you lead? I, I thought about this and 
and I don't think there's any one individual you go, that was my role model, that's what I model myself on. I, I think you you pick up along the way various good things and bad things from your managers, from your family, from your friends, from the guys you play sport with, whatever you do. And you and you, you kind of just adapt it to the way that makes sense to you. So I would say that I, there was one particular manager who showed me the importance of having a vision and having a way you wanted it to be um, and having the confidence to share that. Certainly with others, I've learned focus and resilience, that kind of, that need to keep on it, keep on it, keep on it, keep on it, um, because that's important. Certainly for most of them, the, 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 the value of clarity um, and the need to be clear on what your expectations are, what other people's roles are going to be, what your role in this is going to be. Uh, and again, one was particularly good at being very, very clear, but probably the guy that took us through the global financial crisis at G, that was his mantra, you know, let's be really clear what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it. Um, and then from another one, the, the need to be a, a little bit disturbing to kind of just shake the bottle occasionally and to stir the pot occasionally, because if it gets too comfortable, then we generally as human beings get a bit complacent. So don't make it too comfortable. Just shock the system occasionally from the side. Nothing, nothing too dangerous, but just remind people that, you know, it's not going to be like this forever. It could change tomorrow. So let's be ready for the change. That last point is, uh, you know, so interesting. And I, and I think probably all of us have benefited from the boss that put us outside of our comfort zone enough to to push us harder but was also there in terms of support when required. So I, I, I think that's a brilliant point and clearly lots of great pointers picked up from various people over the course of your career. Um, fantastic. How, uh, you know, we're always interested in how that translates through to um, your selection of your own executive team. So what would you say, you've mentioned already, uh, having a, a professional and a competent uh, team is critical, but what would you say is the, the, the real secret to an effective executive team? I, I think it's almost a, an oxymoron. What, what you want is aligned diversity. So you, you want, I think, a diversity of background and approach and experience but you want a very aligned value set in terms of behaviors, ambitions, outlooks, such that when you put all that in a room, what you don't get is anarchy. What you get is a very well distilled, aligned kind of positive force. So don't pick people that are just like you, but people that feel the same way you do about the important things, you know, the, the value of uh, respect, integrity, uh, developing teams, developing people, uh, engaging, all, all that sort of good stuff. Pick, pick the value set and then get as a diverse a range of experiences as you can. I love that. I love that. I think it's beautifully put. And, and, and obviously, you know, the environment in which that diversity can be leveraged, where people feel they have the voice which I can well imagine, John, under your leadership they have. Um, the the diverse teams we work with that suffer the, the most are the ones that simply, the diversity is there, but somehow doesn't have the voice. So <laughs> it's kind of, uh, you know, shoots itself in the foot. So I, I think, um, you know, to your point around 
make sure everybody's aligned on what we're trying to deliver on our values, on our, our behaviours, the way we're going to work together, but absolutely ensure that people do have a voice and they're allowed to say things that are different from each other. Um, you know, absolutely will speak to your leadership, John. One of my colleagues has a lovely line. He says, it's empowerment without judgment. Mm. So I, I want you to feel you have an opinion and I might not agree with your opinion, but I want you to have it. And then we'll debate and then we'll discuss yeah. and then we'll all agree which way we're going to move forwards. But we need to bring that to the table before we can get the best result. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So as an executive team, you're probably scanning the horizon very closely at the moment. What would you say is your biggest change that's on your horizon at the moment at Haydock? I'd say we've got two at the moment. The, the one is this changing macro environment that I referenced a little earlier. You know, we, we've not been in a rising rate environment for 13 years. Um, and we're a lender of money and we're a borrower of money. So I borrow from banks and pay forward and hedge and I lend, but I lend fixed mostly today. So whatever I'm charging you today, I'm charging you the same in the fourth or fifth year of our arrangement. So it's um, it, it, it's it's relearning that and sort of getting that uh, getting that embedded back into the business that we need discipline around price and we've got to think about future pricing, not just current pricing. And that's against the backdrop of, depending on who you believe, the, possibly the longest recession we're ever going to have, possibly the deepest, but um, a potential sort of more challenging macro environment with inflation, with interest rates, with still supply chain challenges and shortages, with um, you know, still a terrible war going on in Ukraine that could persist with sort of geopolitical wranglings around China and you know we're, we're in a, a much more disturbed environment than we've been for a while um, so just navigating the business through that and trying to understand the potential implications and what we need to do today to prepare our optionality for how it might look during the course of next year and on um, and then at a micro level um, we are in, installing a new core system through the course of um, the first half of next year um, to replace our uh, serviceable but slightly aging sort of core back office system. Um, and it's the first time we've put a new system in of this scale, probably in 20 years, let alone sort of um, 10. So just navigating or managing the business around the need to prioritize that alongside business as usual in a more challenging world, um, I think is going to put a, a bit of a bit of stress and a bit of strain on the business um, that we'll just have to manage our way through. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's um, it's so easy to um, assume that a new system is so sensible that it will be embraced with open arms. And of course, embedded without technological hiccups. And of course, it's very, very rarely the case either of those things. So, I'm going uh, to go with never in my never in my experience. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the best of luck with that. Yeah, it calls on being very clear. It calls on communicating, engaging. We've, um, I think, on the system, we've done a, a nice job so far, engaging our team in the decision process, in the design process, uh, and engaging quite a broad cohort, not just saying right you're on the project everyone else continue with business as usual we've kind of pulled lots of different people in to 
take ideas, which um, I think has helped the engagement. And unfortunately, it kind of raises the bar in terms of expectations. So everyone's now really excited about this fantastic system that's going to come in and be brilliant on day one. And we're certainly going, well, it might not be quite so brilliant on day one. And, you know, we'll get there. Um, but just managing that expect- expectation flow through now the next six months is um, yeah. going to be interesting. Well, I look forward to seeing, you know, what the, out- at the outcomes are, because I'm sure, you know, ultimately it will get you to some some great places so uh once it's up and running i I look forward to hearing more about that um definitely brilliant okay so before we leave each other three quick pieces of advice that you'd give anyone aspiring to become a ceo please john um the the first will be pretty obvious from what i've said but you know it's all about your team um think very carefully about your team, who is on your team, who you want on your team, how you develop and sort of help your team grow and learn and progress, because ultimately their success will be your success and their success will determine the business's success. Um, The the, the second is is a broader one about uh, you need a network. Um, it's, It's pretty lonely being a CEO and it's pretty stressful. So you need a network that you can occasionally tap into, unload on, ask for advice from, that is not part of your business. Um, because anything that's within your business, and if you're in a big group, even the sort of the layers that sit above it, the, 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 it it's still too involved. So have some people outside that you can lean into. I, I have found it hugely useful um, in the latter part of my career as a CEO, also having a non-exec role because um, that creates a little network and it creates a little observation point every month that you can tap onto. But if that's not appropriate, then you know, business colleagues, former work colleagues, that sort of group becomes really important. Um, and the third one it is you can only do it your way. Um, don't try and do it anyone else's way, no matter who you've learned from along the route. That's fine, but don't be them. You've got to be you. Um, absorb it all, learn from everything, but you've got to do it your way. Uh, and don't be afraid to do it your way um, because that's what that's what your team and your business is actually looking for you to do. Um, do it your way, do it well. And I like that choice of words. Uh, we hear authentic a lot, um, but actually all that really means is being yourself, doesn't it? And, um, you know, and clearly, hey, doc, um, actually, across all of the team, um, I, I would say comes across as an organisation that's very comfortable being itself, which is, I think, part of its phenomenal power. So, so great to hear uh, that it's coming right from the top, John. So, thank you so much for that that very interesting interview. <laughs> Thanks to John for sharing so many great pointers, notably the critical necessity for developing new structures in this new post-pandemic hybrid working world to ensure you still have the firebreakers built into your day, which will enable you to rest and recover. John also shares his success factors for navigating the past few years of nevers, never what I have expected to live moments. Finding the best team you can and ensuring it is fully aligned and communicating well and often in times of uncertainty so that they become sellers of hope with teams of people who look to them for their support. John also describes aligned diversity as a means of empowering people without judging to ensure you generate the very best results. 
thanks again, John. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not listen to a few others in our Meet the CEO series by pressing the subscribe button and hear from some of the other fabulous CEOs we have in this series. In the meantime, all the very best from Positive Momentum, and we look forward to meeting you again on a future episode of Meet the CEO.